the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It is a moral responsibility that we have. Now, that may, may sound very strange to you. I, I doubt if we have ever heard, and I have never thought of it until recently, that it is a moral responsibility concerning taxes. We usually think of it as a uh, necessary evil. When you deal with taxes, and I recognize that this is um, not an easy subject because it is not a popular subject. No one wants to pay taxes. Have you realized that? I mean, no one says, oh, great, it's January 1st. I can start thinking about taxes. now." No one, poor people don't want to pay taxes. You know why? Because they're poor. I mean, that makes sense. They don't have much money. They don't want to give any more money away. They have so little to begin with. Rich people don't want to pay taxes either. Because the more money you have, the more you have to pay. And no one likes to pay a lot of money. In fact, our nation came into existence because we were opposed to to taxation without representation. We are a nation founded upon that. In preparing for the 2010 census, the Census Bureau spent $1 billion to develop a special handheld device for census workers so that they could use that as they went door to door gathering information from those who did not mail in their paper questionnaires. According to Citizens Against the Government Waste, the devices failed spectacularly and caused quite a delay as the Bureau had to develop a paper-based system. This is just one example of government waste and mismanagement in one relatively small agency. I can't say that it inspires me to pay my taxes. But the Bible does not tell us that taxes are something we only pay if we like how the money is spent. We are to pay our taxes no matter what, and the Bible even tells us why. We will look into those reasons today on Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff is giving us a short series of lessons from Romans chapter 13 about the Christian's response to government. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. While some people look for any way they can to avoid paying taxes, I suppose that most of us think of them as a necessary evil. The Apostle Paul did not think of them that way at all. Grab your Bible if you have it with you and turn to Romans chapter 13, verse 1. Here's Pastor Steve. I'd like you to open your Bibles, please, to Romans chapter 13. Romans, the 13th chapter, and Paul writes in the first seven verses, Let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, he who resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same, for it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing, for it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath upon the one who practices evil. Wherefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, 
but also for conscience' sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes for rulers or servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them, tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. When Elisa Bonaparte, that was Napoleon's sister, lay dying, someone in the room observed that there was nothing as certain as death, to which Elisa replied it may have been her last words or close to them, except taxes. We often think that uh, Ben Franklin was the first one to say that, but it appears that Elisa Bonaparte was. People tend to put taxes in the same category as all the other downers in life. All those inevitable, horrible things. Taxes get put in that bracket, sort of a necessary evil. But the passage before us in Romans chapter 13 teaches just the opposite. It teaches that taxes are are not a uh, horrible reality of life, but a wonderful Christian responsibility. Now, that may sound strange to our ears, but that's what the Bible teaches. In fact, the the way we pay our taxes in the sense of our attitude indicates a commitment to Christ. It's really tied in. Taxes are not something that's just remote from our Christian life. Taxes are very much involved in our Christian commitment. If you look back at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, you'll see how it all connects. Paul says, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies... And he means here ourselves, not just our body, but everything about us. Uh, Living in a holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. If we have presented ourselves to Christ and said, here I am, everything. Everything about me is here. I'm, I'm your servant. I'm ready to, to do what you want me to do. And then we have resisted the world's standards so that we, don't, we do not conform to the thinking of the world and the attitude of the world and the behavior of the world. And then we have renewed our minds by, by taking in the word of God. We have renovated our minds by constantly taking in the word of God so that we think the word of God, sort of an involuntary response. Then we will be different from those around us. That's the connection with Romans 12, 1 and 2 throughout the rest of this book. If you will do that and you commit yourself to Christ, then you will be different. There will be a different response and attitude towards those things and people around you than the non-Christian. For instance, he goes on in verse 3 to say that you will have a different attitude about yourself. And we've covered this. This is just to bring you all uh, up to date and and to see how it flows. So we're not going to read it. But in verse 3, he speaks about our attitudes towards ourselves. The attitude of the world towards themselves, one of pride, one of arrogance, one of haughtiness, but he says the the person who has committed himself to Christ has an attitude of humility. Secondly, he goes on to say in verse 9 that those of us who have committed ourselves to Christ will have a different attitude towards other people. And the world has an attitude towards others of, of hypocrisy, of maybe saying one thing but meaning another thing. He said the committed Christian has an attitude towards others of love. And so he takes that really towards to the whole end of, of chapter 12. When he opens chapter 13, he says that the uh, committed Christian will have a certain attitude towards the government, towards civil authorities. Now, the attitude of the world towards the government is basically rebellion, 
rebellion to authority. But he says the Christian who has presented himself to Christ as a living and holy sacrifice and has not conformed to this world, but has renewed his mind by the word of God, he won't have an attitude of rebellion. He will have an attitude of submission. And so submission becomes, in Romans chapter 13, 1 through 7, the theme. Submission to the government. A Christian has a responsibility to Submit to the governing authorities. That is the response of submission. But Paul goes on to say why we are to submit to the government. Uh, This gives weight. This gives substance. This gives conviction to you. Paul doesn't just say submit. He tells us why. And so he gives some reasons for submission. He says, number one, it is established by God. Look at verse 1, right towards the end. It says, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. One reason we ought to submit to the government is because God has established the government. It has a divine origin, just like the home, just like the church. Secondly, he says that we are to submit to the government because to resist the government is to resist God. It's just kind of a logical progression. If God establishes the government and you resist the government then you are resisting God. He says in verse 2, Therefore he who resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. Last time we dealt with this, we went in extensively into how God is so sovereign that he will even allow wicked governments to fulfill his purpose. And if you have any questions about that, you ought to get the last tape dealing with this. Then he gives another reason why we are to submit to the government, and that is to resist the government will result in punishment. The end of verse 2 says, and those who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. You see, government exists to punish evildoers. He says in verse 3 and 4, not only that, but it exists to protect those who are innocent, and it exists also to do good for its citizens, to show praise. He says in verse 3, for rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? And it's kind of a rhetorical question, of course. We don't want to fear authority. Then do what's good, and you'll have praise from them. Uh, Sometimes people wonder, well, how will the government praise me? Uh, Just before I left on vacation, the Tuesday before I left, I was invited to the county uh, commissioner's to, uh, to lead in prayer. They open every session with prayer, and they usually ask a different minister to come. And so this was my turn. And uh, uh, I stayed for a few minutes afterwards, about five, ten minutes after I led in prayer to see what was going on. And, you know, the first item on the agenda was to give praise to good citizens. They had some men come up, two different men, two different situations, and they were giving them um, plaques and commendations. They had uh, a, a photographer there, and it was very nice. And I thought of exactly of this portion of scripture. You will receive praise. It's a general, general statement. Doesn't mean that everyone gets it, but in general, that's what government wants to do. So we are not to, we are to submit to the government because to resist the government will result in punishment, but also to submit to them many times will result in praise. And then he finally gives the last reason for submitting to the government in verse Five. He says, wherefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath. In other words, he says, you don't just obey and submit because you fear punishment. I mean, that's part of it, but that's not the whole picture. He says, but also for conscience sake, it is morally right to submit to authority. It is morally right to submit to authority. You don't even need the Bible to tell you that. It's, it's sort of a, an in, innate thing that we know. When Paul tells children in Ephesians chapter 6, obey your parents, you know what reason he gives? He says, for it is right. I mean, everyone knows that it's right to submit 
to authority. It is morally right, and since the government has authority over us, it is morally right to do it. We are to do it for conscience sake. We are to do it for Christ's sake. So there's two motivations. Yes, we fear evil, but the greatest motivation should be because it is right to obey the government, whether we're going to get caught in something or not. So we've seen the response of submission and the reasons for submission. This morning, we want to look at one other issue, and that is the requirement that goes along with submission. There's another requirement. Submission is the broad uh, general principle, but now there's one specific requirement that goes along with submission, and that is paying taxes. Paying taxes. Look at verse 6. For because of this, you also pay taxes. Now, when you're studying the Bible, you have to stop for a moment and say, because of this, because of what? I mean, I read that and I thought, because of what? Because of this, you pay taxes. What does the this mean? What is this? I sound like I have a list, but I don't. What is this? What is he saying? Because of what should we pay taxes? Well, look at verse five. Look at the last statement in verse five, and it'll tell you. For conscience sake. Because of our conscience, we are to pay taxes. In other words, it is morally correct for a Christian to pay taxes to the government. Notice also, he says in verse 6, for because of this, you also pay taxes. What does he mean by that? That little phrase means in addition to submitting to the government, you are to pay taxes. I hear a lot today about what people say is our Christian responsibility to change the government and get in there and do this and elect all the officials that we want. No, the Bible doesn't say that. I mean, it's not a bad thing to do, but the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says there are two requirements. God has two responsibilities a committed Christian has towards the government. Number one, he is to submit to the government. He is to obey it. Number two, he is to pay his taxes. Anything other than that is the specific leading of God in his life. It is not a biblical responsibility. He may feel called into a, to do certain things. He may be like Joseph or like Daniel, called into a government position as a committed Christian. He may want to get active and so forth, but that's up to the leading of God in his life. That's not what the Bible teaches every Christian is to do. But the Bible does teach every Christian to submit to the government and to pay his taxes. It is a moral responsibility that we have. Now, that may, may sound very strange to you, I I doubt if we have ever heard, and I have never thought of it until recently, that it is a moral responsibility concerning taxes. We usually think of it as a uh, necessary evil. When you deal with taxes, and I recognize that this is um, not an easy subject because it is not a popular subject. No one wants to pay taxes. Have you realized that? I mean, no one says, oh, great, it's January 1st. I can start thinking about taxes now. Poor people don't want to pay taxes. You know why? Because they're poor. I mean, that makes sense. They don't have much money. They don't want to give any more money away. They have so little to begin with. Rich people don't want to pay taxes either because the more money you have, the more you have to pay, and no one likes to pay a lot of money. In fact, our nation came into existence because we were opposed to to taxation without representation. We are a nation founded upon that. There are people today who try to avoid paying taxes or at least paying less than they should. And they go to great lengths to, to do this. I read recently about a clergyman who made a deduction claim of $450 for a clerical collar. Now, I don't wear a clerical collar, and I have no idea what they run. Uh, but I know they don't run $450, and so did the IRS. 
And so the IRS looked into this matter, and you know what the clergyman said? He said, you know, I just made an honest mistake. It ought to be $4.50. That was exactly their response. And they found, in looking into this matter, that there were a lot of honest mistakes over the years that this man had made, and uh, I'm happy to say he is suffering the consequences for his disobedience. Then there are some people who don't try to deceive the government. They just say, I'm not going to pay my taxes. In fact, there is a whole movement today that says it is unconstitutional to pay taxes. Some years ago, I sat on an airplane, sat next to a woman who uh, I was sharing the gospel with her, and I was excited about that, and she began to share with me what she was excited about. You know what she was excited about? She was one of these people who belonged to some organization that didn't believe in paying taxes, and she really got off on that and was really excited about not paying taxes. Now, this is a grave problem in in our country, in our day and age, uh, especially now with the new tax laws, and people are trying to figure out what it all says and so forth. Uh, and, And it's sad to say, but there are some sincere Christians who don't believe in paying taxes to support the government. They say the government uses taxes, uh, tax money to support such things as abortion and public schools and things that they're not in favor of, and therefore uh, they should not get what God has given them. They should not give to a secular government. And so you have a—it's really a grave and and large issue in Christian circles. What is the biblical response to taxes? That's really what we're concerned about, not— people who sit on airplanes with you and not people who tell you their opinions and not people who say it's unconstitutional and not people who make $450 claims and think that we're not interested in man's opinion. What is the biblical uh, responsibility that we have to taxes? Very simple. Pay them. Pay them. Now, if I just said that, you know, you wouldn't know a whole lot more about it. So we want to search the scriptures a little bit and see that not only does the Bible say that in, in Romans 13, but it supports that throughout its pages. We are to pay our taxes, and we're going to see a little bit about why we are to pay our taxes. God doesn't just say pay them. He tells us why. The first place we read about paying taxes to the government is found in Genesis chapter 41. And so you need to turn there. Genesis 41. And the first place that we read about it is not even dealing with Israel. Surprisingly enough, it is dealing with the pagan nation, the ancient nation of Egypt. Non-biblical people, a pagan people ruled by Pharaoh. And the situation is this, to let you understand the background of Genesis 41. Pharaoh has had a dream that has frightened him. And nobody can interpret the dream for him. And he is really scared. It was a weird, weird dream. Someone tells him about this, uh, this fellow who's in prison by the name of Joseph, and he can interpret dreams. God has given him the ability to do this. And so Pharaoh calls for Joseph. Joseph, one of the sons of, of Jacob, has ended up in prison. And let's look at verse 14. Then Pharaoh sends and called for Joseph, and they hurriedly brought him out of the dungeon. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, but no one can interpret it. And I have heard it said about you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Then Joseph uh, answered Pharaoh, saying, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. In other words, I'm not going to tell you my opinion. God gives me this ability, and it's really God telling you 
what's happening. So Pharaoh spoke to, to Joseph, and uh, he told him about this dream that he had, and uh, we don't need to go into all the details of it, but a very unusual dream. And Joseph interprets it, and let me just tell you what he says, basically. The interpretation is this. For seven years, there is going to be incredible abundance in the land of Egypt. There is going to be agricultural abundance. Then for seven years, there is going to be a famine. So Pharaoh says, what are we going to do? I mean, that's terrible. It's going to be a famine. What should we do? Let's, let's look at verse 29. You'll see this. Behold, seven years of great abundance are coming in all the land of Egypt. And after them, seven years of famine will come and all the abundance will be forgotten in the land of Egypt and the famine will ravage the land. So the abundance will be unknown in the land because of that subsequent famine, for it will be very severe. Now, as for the repeating of the dream and so forth, that Pharaoh uh, twice, it means it's determined by God. God's going to bring it about quickly. And now let Pharaoh look for a man discerning and wise and set him over the lands of Egypt. Let Pharaoh take action to appoint overseers in charge of the lands and let him exact a fifth of the produce of the lands of Egypt in the seven years of abundance. Now, remember, Joseph is speaking for God. And you know what he's saying? He's saying, when everything is good for the first seven years, tax everybody, 20% tax, tax them. So that when the famine comes around, you're going to have enough in store to feed everybody. Now, part of God's plan, quite frankly, was to, for, was for the survival of Israel. Uh, without the, if you know the story, as it goes on a little bit later, that Joseph is the instrument God uses to save the Jewish people in their early days because they come to Egypt and so forth. But I want you to understand that this is a taxation. This is a taxation. It was instituted by God through his servant Joseph, and it was for a pagan people. It's not even a godly people here. Now, if God wants people giving taxes to an ungodly government like ancient Egypt, then how can we say that we shouldn't give taxes to a secular government like the United States? That's the point here. The point is that God approved of taxes. Joseph didn't arbitrarily say this. God inspired him to say this. That's part of the interpretation and part of the solution. It occurs to me that God is the only one who determines when and how we die, and he is also the one who is ultimately responsible for the amount of tax we pay and to whom we pay it. No wonder death and taxes are both certain. God has a hand in them both. I'm glad you joined us today for Verse by Verse. It's a daily Bible class of the air led by Pastor Steve Kreloff. Since 1981, Pastor Steve has been the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. At Verse by Verse Ministries, we have the joy of making his practical messages available to you through this fine radio station. Pastor Steve has some thoughts to share with us right now about how and why you may want to help fund these programs. I'm Pastor Steve Kreloff with a special message about why people like you choose to support Verse by Verse with their prayers and financial gifts. It's my hope that you're encouraged in your faith and strengthened spiritually through the teaching you hear on Verse by Verse. If you've been blessed through Verse by Verse, please consider supporting this ministry with prayer and your financial gifts. You can call 727-441-1714. That's 727-441-1714. 441-1714 or drop us a line at P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida, 337. 
5858. That's P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida, 33758. Thank you. For more information on giving, you can click the Support Us link on the website. Also at the website, you will find not only today's class, but hundreds of previous classes. We also have a podcasting service if you'd like to take advantage of that free resource. The web address once more is versebyverseradio.org. If, on the other hand, you would like to listen to the entire three-part message, call us at 727-239-0306 and order a CD or a cassette. If you get the answering machine, just leave your name and a daytime phone number. Someone will return your call during normal business hours. That's 727-239-0306. I once heard about a man who went to see his doctor with a complaint that most people don't talk about with their doctors. He said, I've been misbehaving, doc, and my conscience is bothering me. And you want something that will strengthen your willpower? Asked the doctor. Well, actually, no, said the patient. I was thinking you might have something that would weaken my conscience. Our conscience pushes us toward what we believe to be right. It cannot make us do what is right. First of all, unless we train it properly, it may very well be nudging us in the wrong direction. Besides that, we very often overrule our consciences. We will see on the next verse-by-verse that our conscience is one more reason we should pay our taxes. There are some other reasons besides conscience, and we will consider some of those as well. I'm Peter Silseth, and I hope you can join us next time for Verse-by-Verse. Weekday mornings at 9. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.